Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Daybreak Crypto. Swiss here, joined with Kem. How are you, sir? I'm doing excellent. Uh, not a normal time, but happy to hop on. Yeah, yeah. A little afternoon session here. So we just put out the newsletter earlier today. And one article we had in that link fest and summary is this matrix light paper that I wanted to highlight. It looks really cool. I saw it on Twitter, a uh, new Cosmos based project and don't know a lot about it. There's not a ton of details out, but it's relevant to a couple other products that we've been seeing. So I wanted to take a chance to highlight it and learn what the plan is, what's to expect exactly. So this is an order book technology built with the Cosmos SDK. So it's a decentralized finance application protocol ecosystem that is separate from the traditional AMM structure that we've been seeing proliferate over the past two years. And what's unique about an order book approach is having a visible order book. So you and I would be able to go in and provide liquidity, but we would set at what price of the other paired asset we want for it. So just like you go on to a centralized exchange, trading your stocks or going on Coinbase or something, you set a limit order. When you want to sell something, you, you demand what price you want other than the existing AMM model where you just go in and out unless you have a bot of some, some sort. So the order book technology is what we are used to in the outside world. And having an option like this is really interesting because you would have a visible order book that makes it easier to enter and exit trades because you know what price you're going to get. So they go on in the light paper to talk a little bit about this. It's interesting. They're going to be hybrid. So there will be AMMs. Uh, they will support AMMs as well for different types of assets. These sets the plan. And for those who might've been around for a while, might remember Ether Delta from 2017. This was a order book tech that ran on Ethereum and disappeared. I, I actually didn't know what happened to it. So I dug in a little bit to, to look at the history of these, these approaches because Uniswap really took over. And Ether Delta, the, the issue was, it was run by one gentleman who faced a charge from the SEC for operating an unregistered exchange in 2018. So that's the issue is when you're centralized, you face that it's it's not a permissionless system when you have to have one person run it. That's a point of failure. And this approach that Matrix wants to take would decentralize the, the protocol that runs the tech. And it wouldn't be as ideally, the hope would be it would not get as congested as Ethereum, which would be really hard to run one of these uh, without a layer two at the moment. So I don't know if you had a chance to look much into this, but would love your thoughts. So I definitely took a look at the the uh, mater materials you sent over on Matrix, and it's definitely an interesting concept. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the AMM approach, so the automated market maker. But at the same time, it does have its inherent downfalls, which is like placing an order. Um, it, it would be nice to set buy and sell limits like you would on a traditional exchange in case you're trying to catch a, you know, a quick drop in price. Or if you feel like there's, you know, a certain level of support that once it breaks, you'd be willing to buy at that level. Um, you want to be able to put in those 
those orders. Where the issue typically lies with those order books is that they're public. So in a normal exchange, um, even in, in traditional finance, they can kind of the market makers and, and other, you know, players in can see where your positions are. They can see where people are lining up their orders, um, where they have stop limits set. So in my eyes, if we can somehow find a hybrid way where you can incorporate the the privacy side of not being able to see the order book, um, but still being able to get a price that you agree upon with the seller, I think that makes a lot of sense. While still allowing the hybrid model of an AMM for people who are just trying to get the best possible price um, currently based on the liquidity. So I think both have their can have their role. And so it's cool to see Matrix kind of trying to, to find a way to incorporate both sides of of you know an AM's advantages with the advantages of a typical order book and trying to find that middle ground where you can benefit from both. I think there's 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 merit to an order book solution because if you can actually see that there's certain levels of liquidity and depth at different prices, that there's willing supply and demand at different price levels rather than one whale who might have 100k of liquidity that he could rug pull at any given moment out of an out of an AMM model, sorry, out of an AMM model. Um, that certainly speaks to smaller market cap type of projects. Um, probably not as big of an issue for for big projects that that trade on AMMs like um, you know in the 100 top 100. But there's there's merit to both approaches. So I think the hybrid hybrid is going to be really interesting to see. And then Crescent Protocol has talked about their decentralized order book tech that they are going to be rolling out soon. Um, and we'll be covering some more of that in the near future. But it's going to be interesting to see if the, the AMM copy paste model from Uniswap continues to dominate or if these central these uh these order books sort of take over so something to watch definitely something to watch and then i'm interested to, to test it out because that is definitely something i feel like is missing um I, I can't put in orders or stop losses so you have to manage your portfolio you know almost every second of the day right and with crypto being a 24-hour um market there is no time to take a break you have to be you know ready to wake up in the middle of the night and you know, make a move if you need to, because these markets are not stopping. So without stop losses or um, per stop limits or anything like that, you're just, you're really just playing with fire. Um, so we need something of this sort in my eyes, uh, whether it's a hybrid model or a full on order book, we just need the option. Um, and then let the users decide what they think is the best option for them. Plus it runs on Cosmos, hopefully. So, well, it will, it's Cosmos SDK. So the interoperability potentially lets them actually stack liquidity into the system too. So um, again, Crescent's going to be doing something similar. Or I don't know actually the details, but it seems like that's what really got my eye here was, okay, this is the second project that I've seen within the past month outlining plans for this approach. So it feels like something's there, some kind of trends popping up. So in any event, um, that'll be that. Now I know you have, you have, some pretty hot news here. This has been all over Twitter all weekend and mm -hmm. definitely front of mind for a lot of people. This is probably the most popular story in crypto right now, or at least one of. Um, this is actually a pretty 
pretty eventful weekend. Uh, but this one is related to the sale of land for the um, Board Ape Yacht Club. So many of you are probably familiar with Board Ape Yacht Club by now. Uh, they're created by Yuga Labs. And so this weekend, they launched a sale of their other deed NFTs. And so what these are is they basically represent a digital land deed. So it's like you own a piece of virtual land in their metaverse. Um, and so that that's what they were selling. So if you own a board ape, you may want be interested in buying you know land that you'd own in their metaverse that you'd be able to build assets on and, and bring your ape into and basically communicate and, and, and be with a community of other holders. So what makes this so unique and special was actually how the mint went down. So we, we understand how expensive these NFTs are, at least most people do. This weekend, when they did their mint, um, the the cost of the actual NFT itself was 305 Ape Coin, and this this token Ape was created for Board Ape Yacht Club holders, um, and they were airdropped it. So to them, it's essentially free money. But now to the, the regular market users, they have to purchase these coins. So that would have cost them about 5,800 dollars at the time of sale to purchase um, one of these NFTs. And now, what was even bigger issue? was the amount of gas it costs to purchase this NFT. So with Ethereum, um, there's a gas fee for every transaction. For this specific collection, it was costing users anywhere from, I think it was like four to $5,000 um, to mint a single uh, NFT. And then they showed us the full numbers. So the full numbers showed that they made about $320 million. And I'll repeat that, $320 million selling 55,000 of these NFTs um, for that 305 ape coin or $5,800 per pop. But on top of that, there's $177 million spent on gas. And, and to someone who doesn't use Ethereum, that, that gas, when it's used, is burned. It doesn't go to the uh, person, to the company who sold the NFT. It doesn't go to anyone. It, it just kind of goes away. You can think it almost about like money just disappearing. So that's $177 million of money leaving uh, the the market as liquidity and not going to anyone that's a big big cost so I, well I, I think it doesn't it go it goes to the miners and the provider like the I mean at the moment proof of work but it goes to the protocol because the fees and that's what I was I was just trying to figure this out before we went on today because the, the that money goes to the protocol layer and gets split up amongst the people the miners or the validators miners right now who successfully process the blocks. So when you have this insane congestion, everybody's trying to use these same contracts at the same time, the cost to prioritize your transaction over everybody else trying to rush through the door goes up to you have to pay more to get through the door. And that's what happened here. But it's still just an insane number to think, okay, you're paying, you paid 175, 177 million in fees just to process this. That was only rate. I mean, it's almost... It's like it's over fifty percent. It's almost yeah. It's over fifty percent. So that alone is just pretty mind boggling. It really is, and and that's a great point to make. The fees do go back to the protocol. So it, I did not describe that properly. When I said it disappears, but I guess in the eye of the, the transaction, neither the buyer nor the seller are seeing any of that, um, which seems like that is not necessarily the best way to do it. It's, uh, it's very inefficient, you. right? It's right. very inefficient because if you were to just run a, a server program, I mean, on eBay or something like, you know, a centralized solution could have done this a lot cheaper, yeah. basically. Well, 
and and what makes it even more i guess adds more insult to injury is the fact that it was a somewhat avoidable consequence um that essentially the team that created the contract did not do any sort of optimization to the contract so therefore they were paying a lot more gas than probably was necessary because the amount of computational power needed essentially they were they had more computations in their contracts than were necessary and therefore it costs more to uh put that transaction through the blockchain um for context for example this yeah. was was 177 million dollars in gas fees prior to this the largest 24-hour window of gas fees ever collected was 11 million right and that, and that was by OpenSea. so this one mint was 15 times more um, Ethereum burned than any other mint in in history of Ethereum <laughs> over a 24 hour period, <laughs> and and so that's that's hard to wrap your mind around in one in one way. But just for that to happen well, to a project so big and so funded, it it almost seems like that it wasn't necessarily accidental, um, given the cost of that that yeah. I guess misexecution. Yeah. And Vitalik came out saying you didn't think it was an. Inst- an intentional thing. I mean, this is debated at the moment, whether or not they, they intentionally set it up this way because it looks like they just engaged in pretty gross negligence for not even trying to make the contracts better. And everybody was, was talking about uh, that and and sharing, Oh, they could have done this or that to make the contract better. I don't have the technical chops to evaluate that, but I will just back up for a second and say, um, uh, coin artist put this tweet out that just says, (laughs) having land doesn't make a good game. Like, let's just remind ourselves, this is simply selling digital pixels of, like, land in some game that I don't even think is, I don't know if it's out yet, but it's, like, 300 million-something dollars for real estate and yet another game. Um, digital scarcity is is not something that I don't think you can use to justify this amount of real estate being sold. Maybe it's the future. Like maybe this is the one that everybody plays, but I don't know. Well, when you combine the insane gas uh, lack of optimization, just from pure technical transaction features, but then you actually look at what it was for and it's like, all of it combined is this, this is why people just zone out when they see crypto in the news, stuff like this. and it's just, it's just like you said, it's so wild to think about because we're at this point now where the valuations on, on these are so large and they're purely speculative. You know, it, there's really nothing to it. Like you said, it's digital scarcity. Uh, but like with real land, there's actually a limit to how much land you can have. In a digital world, there's not. You can artificially cap that by saying only 10,000 people can be in here. But at what point does that, you know, do you say, hey, the valuation just isn't there? What kind of what could you possibly turn out to make this valuation, you know, make sense? And, and right now, I don't think anyone knows. It's more just speculation. So that's that's interesting from from my perspective to see that so many people are willing to put hundreds of millions of dollars into into these projects without really any idea of where they're going or if or if in a year from now they'll be relevant. Yeah, it's a ton of speculation, no doubt. And some people on some Twitter spaces I was listening to over the weekend were just making comments that. A lot of these people, you know, you, if you had the, the NFTs, you got the airdrops or you just bought a lot of Ethereum back in the day and you're a whale, you, you load it up between 50, to 50 and $100 per ETH token. And now it's 
couple thousand bucks each, you know, you, you're a whale and this is just money, like paying $5,000 for a transaction fee doesn't matter if you have nope. millions and millions of dollars of Ethereum. So, well, um, and with, yeah, with it's, Ape, yeah, sorry. Uh, with Ape being well, an airdrop, yeah, that that yep. yeah. And so every project under the sun was out over the weekend, pounding their chest, talking about, oh, well, this would never happen on this chain or that chain because we're faster and everything. And so um, that was definitely all over. And I think, I mean, we're believers in in Cosmos SDK tech. Um, hopefully we'll get to Ethereum level of usage. Yeah, I guess just my final thought is just, you know, I think as everyone has kind of pointed out recently, um, the crypto Web3 movement is in my eyes, something that's just a matter of time before it becomes, you know, this mass adopted vision. But that doesn't mean that these valuations will come with it. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of valuing a lot of these things so far into the future uh, and not really thinking about, you know, how early we are in this space. And I think a lot of these projects are going to potentially see massive reductions in value over time um, as more projects get into this space and, you know, just become more, saturated but then you'll probably have more innovative ideas being brought to the table um, as we progress and get more people involved um, in blockchain so i just want people to be aware that you know be smart about these investments you don't know where anything especially tech wise is going to be in a year two three or even five or ten um, so when you're when you're speculating on value make sure it can make sense um, find ways to value it objectively and don't just do things like this potentially where you're spending $5,000 on a speculative asset um, that just gives you rights to a digital property that you're not sure will ever be built out to be a revenue producing item. So I just say proceed with caution. We are big fans of crypto, Web3, NFTs. We, we see it. We see the future, but does not mean the property value now. Well said, sir. Well said. Thanks for, thanks for bringing this one up. And thank you everyone for listening. We will be back tomorrow for more Daybreak Crypto.